Have you had enough of the world's nonsense? Yeah. Has all the violence and murder and conspiracy theories and political ineptitude in our land got you asking Jesus to bring it all to an end now? If so, you might be interested or even comforted to know that Jesus asked that it would happen in his day too. I came to throw fire on the earth, he says, and how I wish that it were already kindled. Jesus is many things. Popular opinion, even among Christians, has Jesus pegged as a a prudent sage with wisdom and endless loving patience for all in every situation. But isn't he even more to us when we see him impatient and exasperated as we are with the world? As much as I love the merciful, forgiving, compassionate Lord and Savior, who gently calms the soul with his spirit who dwells in my heart, I also love the fed-up Jesus, blunt and plain-spoken. I can relate to him in this way, can't you? So what about the division Jesus speaks about? He means he came to divide people? Make things worse? Is that really the case, or is he just alluding to something that only a a few people can understand? We must look at this. My family moved into a brand new house in Cerritos, California in 1972, and we got to know some of the neighbors very well, pretty quickly. One of them down the end of the street had two kids, a couple of years older than me, but I remember at the time my mom telling me that they had an older son in his early 20s. He had gotten involved in a hippie commune and came home to tell mom and dad about Jesus. And apparently the conversation didn't go well. We never saw or met the son in the years that we lived there. Several years later, when I was a tween, one of our most beloved family friends, you know, uh, another family that was our most beloved friends, who also had an older son, He met a young Christian woman, started dating her, and that disrupted this family something terrible. Hours long shouting arguments about Jesus and the need for mom and dad to believe before it was too late. Years later, I'm visiting a friend in Iowa for the first time and learning more about his family. And lo and behold, there's a picture on the wall of the older brother who got converted to Christianity tried to bring the good news home to mom and dad, and it didn't go well. My friend told me there was night after night of screaming and yelling on both sides. The older son was never seen again. To this day, I've asked my friend recently, hey, hear anything from the older brother? Nope. All contact lost on his side, well, cut off almost 50 years ago. This was my experience with Christianity growing up. So when I hear this reading from Luke, I get it. Maybe you've had a similar experience or know someone who has. Jesus' ministry kindles the fire that destroys, divides, and refines. It's the fire by which his kingdom comes. His death sparks it. After his death, resurrection, and ascension, his ministry then spreads like wildfire. 
His ministry spread on earth because he brings new life, but there would be a tough side to what new life meant to people, and Jesus makes that very clear here in this passage from Luke. Jesus came to bring peace to the world. He's not contradicting himself. We hear that every Christmas. That's what the angels announced, right? But Jesus is no one-trick pony. He's an all-rounder. He brings many things to earth, and one of them is fire, a cleansing type of fiery judgment. Well, he hasn't brought that fully yet, but he promises to, and he longs that it were already happening now. I've sat with many of your fellow church members as they lay dying. In many cases, the person is unconscious. The pain of recent weeks or months leaves the dying person looking gaunt and strained. Their breathing is often difficult. Their spouse or family members would love to have many more years with their loved one, but they know it's not going to be. Our prayers together become a longing that this agony will not be drawn out any longer. Anyone who's been through this experience will understand. There are times when you long that even a dreadful thing will soon be over. Jesus felt that. He felt that about judgment on the earth. To reject Jesus is to reject God. And for a person to do that means they're bringing down fire of judgment on themselves. But Jesus would also bear... He would, he would be the one who also bears God's judgment on himself. Not for any wrongdoing of his own, but for the sins of others. For your sin and mine. See, we deserve the judgment for all the murder and violence we've committed. I don't think there are any murderers in this congregation convicted by the state. It doesn't matter. We've all thought of doing away with someone we've hated or despised or wanted out of the way to make life better or make pain, suffering, or mistreatment stop. That's murder. And the consequence for murdering another created child of God is death. Jesus takes that consequence, however, and places it on his shoulders. Jesus dies under the weight of punishment for the sin of the whole world. Man, that must have been very heavy. Crushing weight. The judgment that was ours to bear is carried by him. He knew that, and he longed for that fire of judgment. He didn't want to go through the torture and pain of the cross, but at the same time, he longed for it because he knew once it was over, His ministry would spread across the world and people would be saved. Every day he walked down roads that would eventually bring him to Jerusalem, to a trial, a beating, a crown of thorns, and a crucifixion. He knew it and it distressed him greatly. But he faced forward and lived out his good work, which the Father had prepared for him to do ahead of time. Jesus' motivations to do this were much different than what people found motivation in doing. There wasn't any gain for it, or a gain in it for him monetarily. It didn't make him feel good about himself. 
And he didn't need to prove any success. He was motivated by the will of the one who sent him. And teaching all these things to the men and women who would eventually go into the world and preach the good news that God forgives sin and he grants eternal life to those who will listen to it and believe, he would stress to them that there would be a cost, a price to pay for being, for being a follower of Christ. Money was not the cost, but giving up the things of this world would be the price. When Jesus speaks of division... He's not teaching emotional hatred for family members, but he's making it clear to them and us that all relationships are secondary to following him. Even parents, spouses, siblings, none of these can be first in our lives. Even a disciple's own life must be less than love for him. Jesus says, whoever will not die to every other loyalty cannot be my disciple. So it follows then in this sinful world of unbelief and hatred that those who put Jesus above all else risk conflict and division even within their own circles. Certainly Jesus came to bring peace, but it would never be a superficial kind of peace, you know, like an on-the-surface kind of peace that, which makes things pleasant and safe in life. The peace that Jesus would bring would never mean everyone agreeing and getting along. It would never mean every follower of Jesus is likable and appreciated by everyone else. It would never mean a life filled with harmony. God's peace is a kind which goes beyond our human understanding. It brings joy because we know we will suffer for a time and one day there will be no anguish and despair anymore. The road ahead to heaven is good, and it's the one you want to be on, but it's not always easy to travel on. Those who thought that following Jesus on his mission to seek and save the lost, that it would be a stroll from one blessing to another, cannot have considered the words Jesus spoke here in Luke. He actually says he came to bring division. At a very deep level, there is peace. Our bright and hopeful future brings peace. But until then, there is division. Now, those who heard these words for the first time were shocked. And we are shocked by them today because all this time we assumed division was our wrongdoing because of our sinfulness. Well, it is our wrongdoing when we cause it. But Jesus does not conform to our misguided assumptions and expectations. Indeed, he, could be more, he couldn't be more direct with us about the cost of following him. His is a hard message, but an honest one. We should never feel or believe that we've been misled about the cost of discipleship. But let's also consider this that no one who hears and considers these words could ever doubt that there's no other choice to make than surrendering to Him as Lord of your life. No other life worth living than giving every day and every breath to Him. Because after all, 
He's the one who gives you every day and every breath. And no other destiny worth pursuing than spending the rest of your life with Him in His presence and with all the company of heaven, including those we know and love who have gone before us in the faith. So, tired of the world's nonsense? Yep, I am too. I long for the day when I am with the Lord and you on the new earth in the place that our God is preparing for us right at this moment. Until then, we continue speaking the word of forgiveness and reconciliation with God to those He places in our lives. Invite your friends to church. Promote our preschool to parents or grandparents who have young children. And thank you for your support and hard work during our vacation Bible school. It does make a difference in the lives of the children and their families, even if it means division will occur among them. But take heart. It means God is stirring things up. Discipleship stirs things up because it means God is at work, and it is good. Amen.